This episode of the Esoteric Order of Roleplayers is brought to you by the generosity of our backers on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash esotericrp to find out how you can become a backer too. We create and broadcast these episodes live on native lands. We acknowledge these are unceded lands, with diverse communities maintaining connections to these places, and recognize their ancestors, their elders, both past and present, and future generations. Learn more by visiting the Native American Rights Fund website at narf.org. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of me, David Larkins, and I'm going where I've never gone before. Flight Control Officer's Log, Stardate 29994.4 After a refit of Kyushu and some R&R on Deep Space 4, we are testing out a new navigational system in the far reaches beyond. The task has thus far proven irksome. Alright, and welcome to the second mission of Captain's Log. I'm calling this one a funny thing happened on the way to Omega 10. Um, so yeah, as teased at the end of last uh, episode, I rolled up a new mission and um, got, you know, another kind of <laughs> space opera banger, I guess you could say. We've got a rogue super weapon, we've got transwarp conduits. We've got um, a species in the early sta stages of development that I may or may not have to save. Uh, I definitely want next mission to be just something chill, like maybe a holodeck adventure or some planet-side shenanigans, something. But we'll see how this one goes. I have to say that, you know, my experience uh, thus far with, with Captain's Log... I mean, if I wanted some kind of, let's just say, warp speed uh, introduction to Star Trek lore, really couldn't have asked for a better uh, platform because, now here's the thing, the book, as I've said before, it's, it's a lengthy book, it's, it's pretty meaty, and I think I've talked before about how really the first, let's see here, it's... Um, about 320 pages, let's just say. Yeah, let's just say 320 pages. The first 70 pages, so not quite the first quarter, but you know, maybe about the first, what, fifth or so, uh, is is all like an introduction to the Star Trek setting, Star Trek universe. So it's interesting because like the book is kind of aimed at people like myself who are like, hey, I've heard of Star Trek, I'm a gamer. Uh, you know, maybe I'll pick up this solo game and see what it's all about. And, you know, it spends quite a bit of time sort of taking you through all the basics of the 
Star Trek universe, etc., etc. And that's all well and good. And, you know, that combined with all the stuff I talked about in my Session Zero episode, it was a pretty good foundation, I'll, I'll admit. But uh, one thing I'm running into here, especially with these prompts that the book's throwing out, the book itself, I might add, not, not anything I'm bringing in, um, is, is the use of all these very, like, Trek-specific um, concepts. So, like, last time, for the last mission, we had gravimetric distortion, right? And, and I talked a bit about how I went down a whole rabbit hole with that, and I read about omega par- uh, molecules and, you know, gravimetric shear and all this kind of stuff, you know? And so for this one, as I was prepping to record this episode, uh, you know, frankly, this is... Um, much like how for session zero I had to record two sessions and you know trash the first one and start start fresh with the second one because it produced a character that I didn't really feel was well suited for a solo game although in retrospect I think maybe a freedom fighter a Bajoran freedom freedom fighter might have uh, actually worked pretty good but anyway (laughs) um, rather than all these uh, space opera shenanigans because what happened here is I didn't record, you know, an episode that I had to trash, thankfully. But I did sit down to record an episode, and I started to kind of go over my notes from that epilogue, and I was looking things up, and, you know, what, I, what I'm sort of discovering is anytime there's something that comes up from one of these tables that seems like a fairly innocuous, maybe, like, throwaway term, something like transwarp conduit, for example, or even rogue superweapon, for that matter... Uh, I'm, I'm starting to develop a spidey sense that tells me that's probably a thing in the Star Trek universe. You should look it up. And I do. And then I end up doing all this reading and research, which, again, I'm not really complaining about uh, because it's definitely teaching me a lot about the Star Trek setting. Uh, but it is it is interesting to me because I feel like the book is kind of luring you in a little bit. It's kind of saying like, hey, it's okay if you're new to this setting. It's fine. We'll, we'll tell you about it. Aha! Transwarp Corridor. Bah! You know, gotcha. So, um, so I now know what, I now know what Transwarp Corridors are in addition to gravimetric distortions and shears and so forth. And, uh, and then, yeah, thanks to looking up Rogue Super Weapon, I actually uh, sat down earlier this evening and watched uh, the original series episode the doomsday machine which uh you know somehow i i missed out on when i was kind of doing my curated watch list the first time around and uh quite good that one uh, as as its reputation um, would indicate so um so we won't be dealing with any anything quite on that level we won't be dealing with a, a giant um, I don't know, robotic space worm that devours planets. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm definitely, we're definitely going to talk about, or we're going to get into some, some invincible foes here, I think. So, because uh, I've given this a lot of thought. So I did a lot of like reading, thinking, note taking. I also, you know, took the time to roll up the details for the inhabited planet that I, I rolled as one of the kind of instigating encounters. Um, and I'll, I'll go over all this just as a refresher here in a moment. But yeah, I went through and I rolled up all those details on the not just the system this time, but also the sector that the system is in. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely got into it. 
I think if you're if you're thinking of playing Captain's Log, just know that that's going to be a big part of the experience. Is like kind of a lot of a lot of kind of background work, a lot of um, behind the scenes stuff. I think even if you're a Trekkie, there's probably going to be things where you, you're going to find yourself looking things up just to refresh your memory at, at the very least. Um, plus, just you know the sort of activity of like rolling up random star systems, which I mean. Let's be honest, if you're playing a sci-fi game of any stripe, that's kind of half the fun, right? Generating random systems and so forth. So, uh, again, this is not really a criticism. It's just an observation. Um, I guess my main thing is it was a little surprising to me. I guess I just wasn't expecting to be doing quite so much prep work for a solo game. But, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I'm effectively my own GM. So, you know, part of the GM life is prep work. Doesn't matter if it's uh, for a group or uh, just for a, a solo excursion, you know. So, yeah. Well, that all being said, we did our opening officer's log. And indeed, um, this episode is going to, or this mission rather, is going to kick off with a research and development um, mission type. And specifically, we are researching a new navigational system. Uh, I rolled a complication of overworked crew. So I think uh, essentially for this mission, I'm going to do a little a little table ruling. You know, one of the things I was feeling a bit irritated about last episode was... Uh, I just felt like the the victories were coming a little too easily. I wanted I wanted a bit more uh, dramatic friction, and so I'm going to use this complication as an opportunity. And what I'm going to do is basically impose a difficulty two rating on anything that the crew has to roll for. So not win and not the ship itself, uh, but it, but if I'm using the ships attributes to roll for any crew per, crew member crew person specifically it'll be difficulty two which essentially means you know i'm rolling the 2d20 normally you only need one of those to succeed uh in this case both of those would need to succeed to count as a success um and you know we'll see if that you know i would allow for that changing under the right dramatic circumstances if there's some kind of reason narratively that that might change I'll, I'll lift that restriction but otherwise I think it'll just apply for the whole mission um, so yeah I've, I've given some thought as to like what I want to have happen and where we're going to go obviously you have to think about what is your sort of initial scene what's going on there set the stage etc we'll get into that momentarily I've also given a lot of thought to this incident and theme thing <laughs> that we're that we're contending with here. Um, so yeah, so it it tells you to generate your mission and or your uh, incident and theme when it's talking about uh, starting out the mission. And what's interesting about that is. That although normally I would consider those two descriptors to be quite different, you know, um, like I might choose a theme 
for an adventure like this theme you know the theme for this adventure is dark mystery or the theme for this adventure is um uh you know coming to terms with loss and grief or something like that right and the incident is you know um everyone gathers for the funeral of their best friend that's for the loss and grief uh theme or um you know everyone finds themselves trapped in a strange gothic manner on the night of a terrible storm when you know someone turns up uh murdered after the dinner party and that's your dark mystery theme you know like for one thing i would kind of expect them to be related to each other (laughs) and then secondly i would i would sort of expect one thing to be sort of a general a general statement a general vibe if you will and the other one to be uh, an actual thing that happens um what we have instead here what they mean by incident is a verb and what they mean by theme is a noun um very odd I have to say. So here's what it says in the book. Now that you have the general mission directive figured out, start adding more conflict to the story by using incidents and themes, details about a situation or event. Generate conflicts with these verb noun prompts or create your own matrices to add more variety. Inciting incidents are unexpected events that set your captain on their journey that will occupy them throughout the adventure. Typically this incident will upset the balance of the captain's world or threaten to threaten the accomplishment of their main mission directives. This is called an incident theme. An incident theme in Captain's Log. Get creative with how you interpret these results. Uh, see page 181 for more on inciting incidents. If you make a roll, the verb and the verb noun prompt does not make sense to you. Roll again. I mean, fair enough, fair enough. Um, <clears throat> that being said, I can't help but look at these as kind of separate things, too. And I I guess I'm just sort of pedantically hung up on their use of incident and theme. But um, if anything, like, the verb should be the theme, right? Like, save. So I rolled save for incident and theme for rogue superweapon. I really feel like that should be switched, (laughs) you know? The incident should be a rogue superweapon and the theme should be save, Right? I mean, am I am I wrong? Am I wrong? Look, here's the thing. I, I am looking at these as two separate things in some ways. And so, like, for example, here, we could look at it as I have to, you know, we have to save a rogue superweapon, which is certainly interesting. And we might end up doing that. I don't know. But I also could look at it as save something from a rogue superweapon. Right, and it does say to be creative in how we interpret it. So you know, I'm working within the spirit of the game here. I just think that, uh, yeah, it's it's a little odd. It's a little weirdly phrased, I guess. You know, so I'm for this one. I'm leaning more in the latter direction that we have to save something from a rogue super weapon. Okay, so before we get into the uh, opening scene of Act One. Uh, there is a little bit of bookkeeping from the end of the last mission. Specifically, uh, there is kind of an advancement um, mechanic, I guess. It's called Milestones. It is left up to me to determine when I feel like my character has reached a milestone. And then from there, I, we, we kind of figure out like what that means mechanically. And furthermore... Uh, 
I challenged some values, as they say, and uh, and so those values I need new new values to replace the old ones. Since you know, if you recall, we can only challenge a value uh, one time and then it goes away. So, okay, so the values that I challenged were uh, real leaders get their hands dirty and uh, act with confidence even if you don't feel like it. So I gave some thought, I looked at the values matrix that has like 20 different examples, gave some thought to what new values could come in to replace those old ones based on the events of that mission. And, um, and so the first one is crew comes first. That's, that's a new value. I think just derived from, uh, you know, it was, it was very much a crew comes first kind of, uh, mission really, because, you know, we, we didn't leave anyone behind, uh, you know, Captain Galvin refused to allow the, the thought beings to hijack the minds of, of his crew, um, to the detriment of those beings, uh, you know, and, and, and their fate when left on, uh, you know, on the surface of that planet. So, yeah, very much a crew comes first kind of thing. And one thing that I, I, I'd kind of like to play with uh, at some point here is the fact that values can be challenged for both positive and negative ends. So they're not necessarily there just to use to give yourself a leg up. You know, uh, one could argue that Captain Galvin was perhaps... Uh, challenging his crew comes first value when he made that decision and not necessarily for the best end for that other you know cohort of, of beings you know he was sort of condemning them to a you know a rather uncertain and unpleasant fate you know uh, if not death outright so um, yeah so we'll see we'll see uh, the other value I decided to add was sensors cannot tell you everything and uh yeah i think that one's fairly obvious we had um you know a couple incidents of of picard and the stargazer crew being unable to see these beings when they appeared on the bridge of kyushu and um and so yeah like obviously sometimes you know what's appearing on a video screen or on a sensor scan it's not necessarily going to tell you the whole story or be accurate you know so i think that that's you know very understandable um, value to pick up and uh yeah i mean just based on everything that happened i very much felt like that was a milestone I mean, you know, frankly, this is not a long-term, you know, campaign. Um, I think I'm probably aiming for three missions here um, before hanging it up for the time being. Maybe coming back to it, maybe taking it over to our Patreon for, you know, occasional um, extra episodes, bonus, bonus missions, I guess, you know. Um, so... I, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and give Wynn a milestone <laughs> at the end of every mission. I don't think there's any reason to, uh, to delay that or futz around on that. 
unless it's like, I mean, I guess if a mission's like just a an abject failure, um, you know, I won't do a milestone. Maybe that's my maybe that's my rule of thumb. Uh, is you know, if the mission has more more success than fails, um, then we'll go with a milestone. And if there are more fails than successes, then no milestone. So we did go with milestone this time. And uh, so there's, you know, uh, you, you choose one from a list, you know, and it could be like you can you can boost an attribute by a point. You can boost a discipline by a point, you know, things of that nature. Uh, you can also swap out a focus, much like how you swap out disciplines. So I decided to go ahead and swap out the advanced holograms focus that I had rolled up during character creation um, and replace it with the much more handy Helm Ops focus. <laughs> so, yeah, um, advanced holograms, I don't think really as much as I want to do a, um, a holodeck adventure at some point. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's a hugely um, useful uh, focus so um, we shall see we shall see I may come to regret that but <laughs> no I think helm ops will, will come in much more handy so including in this uh, very mission so um, yeah I think that was all the bookkeeping so let's just go ahead and get into act one scene one um I contemplated starting this one in Medias Res. Um, the book talks about like a way that you can do that. It does sound like a fun thing to do. Again, you know, maybe I'll do four missions. Eh, maybe I'll do five. Who knows? You know, three to five. Let's say three to five. I'll do three to five missions before I call this one uh, complete. Okay. So, because uh, you know, I want to give. I do want to give myself some time to like kind of explore the, the many different facets of Captain's Log and the Star Trek universe. But, um, yeah, we shall see. We shall see. Okay, so I contemplated in Medias Res, but I think because of the nature of the super weapon that I have in mind, I think we'll we'll start out pretty typical. we we got to establish a nice typical baseline here, and we got to set up the, the core uh, problem, which is that Kyushu is flying in deep space out beyond the Deep Space 4 station. So um, that's another thing, is I'm kind of nailing down where this campaign is set, and I think, yeah, the Beta Quadrant kind of on the uh, uh, core side of the map, you know, like um, out near the, the Romulan, the border with the Romulan Empire. Um you know, out around there. Okay. And, and Kyushu's mission is, is one I think we've talked about of, of like sort of, it's, it's more of an exploratory ship, a little bit patrol, a little bit of exploration. Right. And so what I decided is, as I indicated in the opening log, um, is that the refit with this new navigational system happened at deep space four, the crew enjoyed some R and R it's been a few Earth months since our encounter at Orath Prime, and uh, and so we are now out in deep space, and we are testing out this navigational system, and it is not going well. So I think we're gonna just open up again on the bridge, um, you know, and uh, 
reference previous show notes for a link to an image of the of Kyushu's bridge, but you know it's um, it's it's not the most expansive bridge. It's certainly not the size of the Enterprise, and right now it is chaotic and it is hectic, <laughs> and uh, uh, Captain Galvin is standing right up near the helm kind of breathing down Wynn's neck um, as Wynn is like sort of desperately working the the, the navigational um, helm or whatever you would call it the navigational station I guess we'll have uh, Ensign the, the Ensign we created before Ensign Kehoe is actually piloting the ship Wynn is uh, the one who is working with this experimental system and it is it is proving difficult everyone looks a bit harried and um and and bothered and i'm trying to think of how an experimental navigational system could do that and i think it's probably i think it's time to do our first probability matrix roll of the session and I think it has to, it has to do with the ship going off course, right? It would have to do with the ship getting lost. So the first question I will ask of this mission and of the probability matrix is, are we lost? And I'll say that's somewhat probable. Uh, and that comes up as a no. So we are actually not lost. Okay, that's good. Um, do we think we're lost? <laughs> I'll say that is also somewhat probable. That is true. Okay. So so this is the problem then. Um, with the new navigational system, it's, it can, it's hard to tell whether in fact we are indeed on course or not. And so, uh, and that is in, in fact what Captain Galvin is saying to Wynn. Are we in fact lost or not? And, and Wynn is sort of sweating and like, uh, just give me one moment, Captain, as I... As I pull up these numbers here, I, I think we're fine, but let me see what I can find out. And, uh, and so, yeah, we will, uh, we will make a roll here. Okay, so obviously the discipline there is con. Um, I'm thinking the attribute is reason. Um, let's take a look, though, as I'm still familiarizing myself with these things. Okay, meticulous analysis, detailed planning, gathering of evidence, forming and testing of theories. Okay, um, and then not presence, control possibly, precise, orderly, and disciplined, highly coordinated. Okay, may use control for an intellectual problem to center themselves and maintain their concentration or find a solution that relies on precision or attention to detail. Actually, that sounds pretty good. So we'll go with control plus con, and that is a twelve or less. I know I said I know I was said I was exempting win from the difficulty two, and I will I will do that as a general rule. But let's say for the initial roll, let's make it difficulty two. Um, hot dang, I got both five and a six, under thirteen or under twelve rather. Um, okay, great. So. So Wynn is able to, to punch in uh, some like, um, you know, clarifying algorithms and, uh, and looks up at, at Galvin and says, uh, 
yes sir we are exactly on course as planned and galvin like leans forward squints and gives an approving nod and a grunt and says uh very good this navigational system is proving far more trouble than i think it's worth and uh you know turns to um turns to uh lieutenant therella our andromedan chief engineer and and uh you know sort of um complains you know like like uh I'm not even sure exactly what this is supposed to do for us that our old system couldn't. And, uh, and Thrella says, well, sir, it, it's uh, quite simple. It actually allows us to plan for um, avoiding things such as gravimetric shears and other uh, unfortunate such um, events and uh, keeps us on track through uh, difficult navigational um, situations. Uh, to which Galvin probably responds, uh, well, then I can't think why the devil we might be out in the middle of deep space where none of those things exist, testing a navigational system that's supposed to help us navigate those hazards. Uh, to which Thorello might respond, uh, well, there is something to be said for establishing a baseline, Captain. All right. So with that little bit of Star trek banter, we will mark that first scene a success. Um, this was something I noticed in some of these actual plays I watched is that uh, some people like to keep their scenes very short, very punchy, you know, mostly just a single a single task roll and then you're on to the next thing. And, uh, you know, I think that, that that kind of establishes our our overworked crew and what exactly we're doing out here in deep space with this R&D mission. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. All right, so we're going to move on to the uh, second scene here. And here's where we're going to start bringing in these encounters and these complications that we rolled up. So um, so Kyushu is, is making its way along its designated course through deep space. There's really not supposed to be anything out here. It's deep space. Um, as... Uh, Let's see, as it's doing so, <clears throat> we've got Wynn at the navigator's station. We've got Kiho uh, at, the, at the helm. So I'm gonna start, we're gonna start out. I have something in mind. I'm gonna give Kiho the first shot here. Just to notice something. Again, this will be difficulty two. And uh, so we'll do sensor, right plus a con. Okay. Okay. Alright. So, that is two successes. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm using my new uh, Star Trek Adventures dice, by the way. I ordered them in the uh, Captain Kirk green and gold tunic combo. Very snazzy. And uh, hides your middle-aged gut quite nicely as well. Um, okay, so, <laughs> um, all right, so Kiho is, uh, is at the helm and, and says, um, uh, you know, uh, Captain, um, I'm detecting some strange readings up ahead, uh, uh, seemingly a, uh, concentration of tachyon particles, and, uh, and so, you know, um, 
think uh, uh, Galvin and, and our science officer, um, our Vulcan Timir, um, exchanged a, a curious look. And, um, and um, Galvin would say uh, uh, to Timir, um, what could explain a strange uh, cluster like that out here in the middle of nowhere? To which Timir would say, uh, unclear, Captain. I, um, by all rights, there should not be uh, any such concentration of particles. And, um, and so... Uh, at that point, Galvin would order uh, Wynn to plot a course uh, to take the ship uh, closer in to this um, cluster of particles. So we will roll for um, uh, yeah, control plus con, I think, again. Or actually, no, sorry, that would be reason plus con, so that's a 13 or less. And since I said I would only make the first roll difficulty two, I'm glad I said that because I got one success. So, um, <clears throat> uh, Kyushu drops out of warp speed and um, uh, approaches this uh, tachyon uh, cluster. And um, let's give another sensor roll give it to win this time so using the uh, ship's sensors again and would we yes okay so 13 or less okay one success on that so so yeah so when um, uh, checking the, the sensor readings as the ship approaches the tachyon cluster says uh, Captain, there's a sh there appears to be some sort of uh, starship in amidst this cluster, um, and uh, Galvin orders it up on screen. And uh, what we see is a very strange ship, a ship that nobody has seen before. It is it is large, it is um, you know very like gray and menacing and cybernetic. It's a sphere, not a cube, but a sphere. Um, and it is, it is just hovering there, um, almost invisible against the blackness of space beyond. And uh, Galvin orders it, uh, brought up on hailing frequencies. And, um, and you know, says, um, this is the USS Kyushu, a Federation starship. Please identify yourselves. So let us see what we can find out from that um we'll give him a um comms plus command roll difficulty two and it's a success okay so let's go to the probability matrix um so many of you will have surmised that this is a borg spaceship remember we're in the 2350s this is before this is right when the first sort of contacts between the most sort of like outlying Federation uh, explorations and the, the most outlying Borg explorations are beginning to happen. Um, and I just felt like, yeah, for, for a super weapon, we had to go, I didn't want to go all in with a Borg cube, but a Borg sphere is 
nothing to sneeze at. And it is also a, an exploratory kind of like scout vessel in and of itself. So um, it would make sense for it to be one of these first contact ships. Um, and also, since we know Kyushu's eventual fate is to be destroyed at the Battle of Wolf 359, I just like that narrative resonance of it being also one of the first Federation starships to contact the Borg. So the question is, Galvin is... Um, you know, unbeknownst to him, he's poking the bear. Uh, so the question is, does the bear uh, lash out? I have some ideas. I know why that tachyon particle cloud is there. So basically, this is the transwarp conduit, right? The, the Borg sphere has just popped out of this conduit. There's still some particles, you know, sort of scintillating on the sensor screen around it and um and the question then is um does the does the sphere pop right back into that conduit does it not i guess and then we'll, and then we'll go from there right because if it doesn't then there will be some other questions if it does hmm. all right so uh does it pop back into the into the transwarp conduit now because uh the the encounter stipulated that Kyushu is going to be pulled into a transwarp conduit uh, we have to kind of make that happen at some point so it's really just a question of is it going to happen now or a little later from now but I'm going to say it's highly probable that it pops back into its conduit right um, it is after all just a scout ship and it's popping out of this conduit and then like oh oh there's a unknown um, enemy vessel you know we don't you know, we don't know its capabilities yet. Um, we want to retreat a little bit, you know, come back later, maybe. Okay, so highly probable that it pops back into its conduit. And that is a yes. Okay, so Galvin, you know, tries to hail the star starship, says, you know, please identify yourselves. And everyone watches in wonder as, you know, right behind this, uh, you know, machine-like globe um, this great sort of glowing gate kind of opens up and the globe just like zoop, goes into the gate okay so does Galvin uh, order uh, pursuit um, let's call that uh, let's see he's he's a stoic commander he's not he's not your Kirk type he's not he's not reckless so let's give it a 50 50 chance um, oh, no, absolutely not. I rolled a 20 on that one. So um, so he, he doesn't immediately order uh, any, any kind of pursuit. Um, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so we will wrap up the scene there as as the transwarp conduit gate closes and Kerensky and, and Galvin exchange a, a look of, of alarm and surprise and everyone is left feeling quite unsettled by this strange, an unknown ship using some kind of unknown space travel technology. What could it all mean? 
All right, so I'm going to say that now last last uh, episode I was also musing that I need to be a little bit more strict on what I what I decide as a successful scene versus a failure. I'm going to call that one a failure because Galvin did not act with decisiveness and we did not actually trigger, you know, one of the um, story prompts, right? So, uh, so let's move on to scene three then. Okay. So, scene three, uh, we find Kyushu, and that, that would be like the, probably the commercial break, right? <laughs> you know? So, as we come back from commercial, we find Kyushu still sort of like hovering in, in deep space. It is out of warp, it is stationary, and, um, and on the bridge, we have uh, our uh, chief science officer, um, Lieutenant Commander Timir. Let's see. Still getting to know everyone's rank. Um, yes, Lieutenant Commander Timir. Um, running some scans of that spot in space where the uh, where the ship disappeared. So let's see what's to be seen. Um, this would be a sensor plus science role, which Kyushu is actually quite good at. Uh, remember, we need two successes because the crew is overworked and we only got the one. All right, so Timir is flummoxed. Uh, sir, I cannot seem to um, locate or um, discern what method of travel that strange spacecraft was using or why it simply disappeared from all visual and sensory uh, scans of the area. It seems to have vanished into space, as it were. Alright, so now we can give our hero a chance to um, show off a little bit. We've got... Um, so Wynn has an engineering of three and an insight of eight. That's not great. That's actually her worst attribute. That being said, let's see if maybe, um, maybe, you know, she can come up with an unconventional explanation. Absolutely not. That's a failure. That is an outright fail. Neither one of those roles succeeded. Hmm. Have I painted myself into a narrative corner? <laughs> well, um... No, I have not, because we've we've already determined that this the Kyushu's gonna get sucked into this trans uh what the hell is it called again? Uh trans warp conduit. So we'll mark that scene as a fail. Uh-oh. So we've now got one success and two fails. See, this is a little this is more like it. I, I want this. I want some dramatic tension here. I gotta start succeeding. Okay. So, um, so I think for eh, trying to decide what would make a more interesting act break, I think going through the conduit would make, and, and then coming out the other end, and then kind of setting up the stakes of what's going on on the other end of the conduit. That would make for the more interesting act break. Plus, yeah, for scene four, it would be going through the conduit itself. Okay, 
So I'm not even going to like do a probability matrix or anything. We've already established that Kyushu is going to get pulled into this thing. So, um, okay. So I think on that note, uh, Captain Galvin, um, you know, more or less throws up his hands, not literally, but you know, says, uh, you know, very well, Lieutenant Commander. Um, I will make sure to log this in our official report. And uh, um, in the meantime, let us continue on our route as planned. Uh, junior Lieutenant, as he looks at Wynn, and Wynn turns back and begins plotting out the new navigational, or, you know, replotting the navigational course. And, um, and, um, and then Galvin. Um, turns to Ensign Kehoe and says, uh, Warp 3, Ensign, engage. And no sooner has the Kyushu begun to power up to warp speed again than suddenly that gate reopens and um, the ship uh, lurches and we get to do the, the Star Trek um, <laughs> the Star Trek deck lurch thing where everyone kind of goes, whoa, whoa, you know, back and forth in their seats as uh, Kyushu is suddenly pulled in by some kind of, you know, strange uh, transgravimetric force. And uh, in it goes, zoop, right into this uh, transwarp conduit. And so suddenly the ship is sort of spinning around, uh, you know, on the bridge, everything, lights are flashing, you know, red alerts going on, all these, uh, you know, all the sensors have been triggered, all the warnings have been triggered, engineering is freaking the fuck out, Every, no one knows what's going on, outside there's like this strange sort of black cloudy corridor zipping past all around the ship, you know, as it's kind of spinning around, and, um, and so uh, we're going to have to try and uh, get control of the ship. Now, uh, one thing I didn't do is I didn't go and watch any of the the episodes that came up from, from TNG or Deep Space Nine or any of these other ones that dealt with these uh, transwarp conduits. So, you know, uh, I'm just sort of riffing here. I don't, you know, I'm just going off of what I read on Memory Alpha. But uh, my understanding is, so the, the Borg, for those who don't know, the transwarp conduits are basically these, these sort of, um, you know, as their name implies, they, they exist... Uh, they're, they're, they're like these tunnels, these conduits that exist sort of outside of space-time that actually go faster than warp speed. Um, so it's kind of like an express line, or it's like those uh, those lovely little people movers at large airports, you know, where you can hop on the people mover and start power walking, and suddenly it feels like you're, you know, um, speeding along, you know, ten times faster than those schlubs, you know, walking along the middle aisle. Um, kind of like that, you know, and the Borg uh, have this whole, like, web of, of these conduits that, that go into all four quadrants of the uh, of this part of the galaxy, and, um, and yeah, it's what allows them to kind of move around with, with great speed and respond to problems in any part of their, their territory and, and press, you know, further out, uh, press the boundaries of their, of their conquests further and further out into space um and and also just sort of seem to appear out of nowhere <laughs> you know as as our 
strange Borg sphere did. Um, and furthermore, they have developed technologies that allow them to um, traverse these uh, corridors safely because, yeah, like you're moving at 20 times the speed of light, it's going to mess with things. So, for example, Borg craft have to have these like chronometer stabilizers on board so that the front part of the ship and the back part of the ship don't get out of sequence to each other. It's it's that you know intense. It's that it's you know like you're you're messing with time. You're messing you know it's it's like beyond the uh, sort of warping effects of like speed of light travel or black holes or you know event horizons or any of that thing. It's kind of beyond that even you know. And um, and then they have like special shielding and all this other kind of stuff. So. I think um, I think the first thing to do is to <laughs> give poor old Kyushu here uh, a uh, a role here. Um, actually, you know what? This will be fun. Let's do it as a conflict. Let's do it as a conflict. So uh, Kyushu has a structure of nine and a security of one, and so let's play it like we would uh, a star battle. Kyushu has a scale of four, so that means it can take uh, four hits before it gets knocked out. And so let's just set up the corridor the same way, and um, and we'll just we'll just uh, we'll see how much. Basically, once once we've ticked off four boxes for the corridor, that means we'll have passed through. Um, and then you know, in the meantime, we'll just see what kind of damage Kyushu takes. I guess if I take four boxes, this might be the end of, <laughs> of our captain's log. I don't know. We'll find out. Here we go. And it's not great. Kyushu's not not a, a warship, you know. This is a ten or less here, folks. However, we don't need... It's not a difficulty two, so that's the good thing. And right there, I rolled two successes. Whoo, boy. All right. So I'm just going to take that opportunity and immediately use it to uh, do two points on the, on the transwarps track, I guess you could say. I won't say two points of damage, but okay. Whew. All right, next roll. Wow. <laughs> hey, these Captain Kirk dice are really paying off. So again, I rolled a one in, I think the last roll was a one and a four, and this one was a one and a five. Wow, okay, so Kyushu's gonna come through unscathed. Thank goodness for that. Um, can we say the same of the crew? <laughs> uh, let's see here, so what should we do? Um, let's say, um, let's give the crew a structure plus command roll. This will be difficulty two. We're just gonna make the one roll here. Structure plus command. Okay, so uh, two successes. So I generate a um, point of momentum there. And uh, and then for win, let's do a um, fitness. Yeah, fitness plus command. Just to see how she comes through. Difficulty one, and I got the one success. So that's fine. Okay, so I'm picturing it a little bit like, um, which uh, is that? Ah, which Star Trek is that where they kind of go to plaid? The Star Trek movie. 
and that it's like they go they go into some kind of weird warp field where it's like everyone slows down and they're all blurry and you know is that the is that the motion picture or is that yeah anyway i'm kind of picturing something like that like everyone's just kind of looking at each other and things are very out of sequence and it's like it's like when you're watching a video and the buffering gets off and like so you're you're speaking but the sounds aren't matching the motions of your lips but the words are still coming out and captain i'm trying to gain control of the ship and so forth so let's give that one last roll uh daring plus con for wind take control of the ship get her righted oh it's a failure it's a failure everybody okay i think i can use can i use this uh yes i'm gonna use this point of momentum to re-roll one of those dice come on man let's see i know i asked for this but still 13 or less here we go an 11 oh <laughs> yes okay see then this is this is the adrenaline rush i've been looking for <laughs> there's no adrenaline don't worry this is the dopamine hit I've been looking for. There we go. All right. So, um, <laughs> so Kyushu becomes the first Federation starship, uh, <laughs> the first non-Brazilian starship to travel through time. That's a Simpsons reference. All right. So, no, but it becomes the uh, first Federation starship to um, travel through a transwarp conduit. So, a a rare distinction. And uh, pops out the other side. Okay, so we will definitely mark that as a success. The ship came through unscathed. The crew made it through okay. Wynn managed to uh, get the ship under control. And, um, and then it comes out the other side. And so we find ourselves in a strange unknown star system uh it's a it's a binary system two red dwarf suns um you know in, in close uh binary orbit to each other and uh and you know some uh some planets coming up on the on the sensors as well so yeah so uh <laughs> everyone everyone's a bit um you know beaded sweat on their on their brows and looking a little bit the worse for wear but everyone's okay uh captain galvin calls for a status report all the reports come back from all the different parts of the ship you know uh, status a-okay uh holding steady and let's get a sensor sensor report sensors um so let's see that would be sensors obviously um plus science i suppose all right one success ah but we have a difficulty too in effect okay um so um so yeah so lieutenant commander uh timir um is is reading the sensors and and uh i'm gonna say with the one success um you know he's able to or oh i'm sorry timir's a a lady all right she's able to um to you know get like the most basic details so um you know captain it would appear that the 
uh, uh, system we are in has uh, five planets um, and um, currently uh, attempting to find um, uh, you know fix our point in space um, so let's see who wants to do what I think we'll have the ship. Oh wait, actually, never mind, never mind. Um, I said that the the ship only had difficulty one. It was the crew that had difficulty two. So that was actually a ship roll, not a crew roll. So uh, very well. So in addition to finding or, or you know determining if there's five planets in the system, uh, Timir uh, also determines that um, the third planet from the sun uh, is. Uh, shows um you know life readings right and of course from this distance that's about as as uh, detailed as we can get um okay so let's give win a another roll here let's see we're trying to spot the threat that's nearby so um we are going with uh what was that again reason Reason plus con, I believe. Okay. Yep, got one success on that. All right, so Wynn reports. Uh, and, uh, Captain, it appears that strange vessel um, is in orbit over the um, over that planet that uh, Lieutenant Commander Timir just mentioned. And, uh, and so... With that, we bring up on screen once again this um, this menacing sphere, this menacing globe. There is a, a single moon orbiting this planet, um, but this uh, <laughs> this little mini Death Star is now a second satellite um, in orbit, and um, and so I think that would be the act break for sure. So we managed to scrape some successes there. Okay. So, yes. Let us... Um, looking at the time. Um, yeah, let's press on a little bit. Let's just... Let's, let's see. You know, we'll do, we'll do a few scenes at least in Act 2. Maybe we'll go through act, all of Act 2. I don't know. We'll see. All right. So... Right. Here's what we got to do. We've now brought in that inhabited planet. And um, so what we have on this planet is we have a species in early stages of development. Now, I went ahead and I rolled up all the details on this on this damn species and this damn planet. Um <laughs> And um, and I don't think any of it's going to figure in. I don't know, though. Maybe it is. Oh, actually, you know what? See, I spoke too soon. Because uh, something's beginning to occur to me. So, okay, so this Borg sphere is in this system. And obviously they're like, they want to assimilate this uh, species that lives on this planet. Now... Uh, you know, we rolled up that they are from a, uh, a species in early stages of development. So this is, you know, on the face of it, normally would be a prime directive situation, right? We don't want to mess with these 
with the species on this planet. We're just going to leave them be. We're not going. We're not here to cause any trouble. However, the Borg, obviously, are the direct opposite of the Prime Directive. You know, they're 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 very much here to mess with the species, and so that's where the whole save part came in. So, you know, like I was saying, it's like. Like, we're not here to save the rogue weapon. We're here to save this species from the rogue weapon. That is how I am choosing to go with that. That's how I'm choosing to interpret it. Okay? So, uh, so I got to write... I'm going to pause the recording here really quick. And I'm going to write a second act supplemental log. One moment, please. Flight Control Officer's Log, Supplemental. We find ourselves positioned at a Lagrange point between an unknown Class O planet and its moon. On the far side of the planet, a strange alien vessel hovers in synchronous orbit, its motivations unknown. Alright, so we are into Act 2, and Kyushu is in grave danger, although its crew does not quite realize this. Um... I think there's sort of two things at play here um, as we move into this new act. One is going to be fixing the ship in um, in space. Where are we exactly? And then the other is to um, determine what the hell the Borg are up to and what they're going to do. So um, for first scene um let's go ahead with we're still on the bridge and um and we're gonna have um galvin and his bridge crew attempting to find out where the hell they are okay so first thing to ask the probability matrix is um are we still in the beta quadrant and i'm going to say that's improbable and no, we are not. Okay. So let's find out. I, I think we're gonna we're gonna do a ship roll here. And the bet the the more successes I get, the um, closer to home we will be. So like two failures, for example, will be very far away. If I roll a threat, that'll be very, very far away. <laughs> And uh, conversely, the other way around. All right, so we are rolling. Um, let's see. I guess computers, you know, plus um, not necessarily sensor, right? Well, they're they're the same value, so I guess it doesn't matter. And um, and engineering, would that be it or? Con actually, con is for navigation. That's right. So computers plus navigate or for plus a con rather thirteen or less. What did I just roll? I rolled one success. Whew. Okay. So um, we will say that we are in the delta quadrant, but um, not too far, but still quite a ways, quite a ways into the delta quadrant. <sighs> far too far away to get back under. You know, even even via warp power, it would take. You know, <laughs> uh, we get we get the classic Trek moment of the Vulcan science officer 
uh, arching an eyebrow and saying, Captain, even at warp 9.9, it would take us 57 Earth years to return to our point of departure. Dun-dun-dun! Okay, so that was scene one. Okay. All right, scene two is we're going to find out. We're going to start our little cat and mouse game here. So, as I mentioned in my supplemental log, I'm picturing that Kyushu has established itself at a Lagrange point, which is a sort of gravitationally neutral point between two bodies in space where you effectively are remaining stationary in relation to the two bodies. So it has established itself at one of these Lagrange points uh, of this Class O planet. Now, Class O planet is a Federation... Uh, designation and it, and it's you know stands for ocean. This is a you know ninety five percent water based planet with just some scattered archipelagos um, in various you know locations around the planetary surface. But it is otherwise uh, habitable, conducive to life. You know, a perfectly a perfectly nice planet to be on. Um, until the Borg show up, of course. So, um, but yes, we're going to have a little cat and mouse game here as the Borg sphere is on the other side, but it is in synchronous orbit, so meaning it's sort of, its orbit matches one point below it, so it's sort of moving at the same speed as the rotation of the planet, so it stays in that relatively fixed position to the planet itself. So they're going to come around, you know, think, uh, think the climactic battle in in uh you know new hope um with uh you know with the death star um waiting for the moon to come around <laughs> come around the planet um yavin right i guess yeah oh my god too many too many nerd franchises knocking around in my head anyway you know what i'm talking about all right so does the Borg Sphere know that Kyushu is here? We are going to say that is highly probable. Come on, man. Let's roll that natural 20. Oh, <laughs> so close. So close. An 18 or less is a yes, and I rolled a 17. All right. So the Borg have detected our plucky Federation starship. All right, have the Borg sent, um, <laughs> what would you call them? Not an away team, we'll call them an assimilation team. Have they sent an assimilation team down to the surface of, uh, this planet, which I have dubbed Omega-10, um, <clears throat> or rather the random planet name matrix dubbed Omega-10, um, Mm, I mean, you know, they're either still conducting scans of the planet or they've sent some teams down. Uh, so, okay, so, like, let, let's actually, let's ask a different, different question. Are they still conducting scans of the planet? We'll say that's probable. Uh, that's a no. Okay, so then I, I would say that would boost the chances uh, of my next question, which is, have they sent teams down to the surface of the planet? That is, um, I'd say highly probable now. 
they've obviously accomplished their scans, and yes, they have teams down on the surface of the planet. Now, that actually kind of helps our cause over here on board Kyushu, because that means most most of the... In fact, I would say, yeah, like, the sphere itself just has, like, a skeleton crew on it, right? Um, most of the, you know, several thousand uh, Borg... Borgoids. Uh, <laughs> Borg bots? Um, Borg crew are on the surface of this planet. Okay. So, that being said, I don't think Kyushu's in any direct danger at the moment. Even though the, uh, yeah, the, the skeleton crew still up on the sphere have detected this um, enemy or foreign vessel um, and, its, and its appearance in the vicinity, in the neighborhood. And so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're probably, okay, here we go. Next probability matrix. Um, I mean, they have alerted just by nature being Borg. They, you know, the, the away team, the assimilation team down on the surface now knows this too. Um, do they feel that it's important enough to begin transporting back onto the sphere or are they going to continue conducting operations planet side and not worry about this other little, you know, gnat that has sort of shown up to buzz around and be annoying? Um, I'm going to put that on a 50-50 because I honestly don't know. Partly just because I don't know enough about the Borg and also just because, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting question. All right, so the answer is no. So they're they're not going to worry about Kyushu unless Kyushu makes, you know, an issue out of it, right? Um, you know, for them, it's like we're we're here to do this. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna make an an attempt to assimilate the species on this planet first. And then we'll see about the starship. Okay, fine. An interesting choice. Although very much in keeping, right? In keeping with the with the Borgs kind of like if I if we don't think you're a threat, we're just gonna pretend you don't exist kind of mentality, right? So that's cool. I like that. That feels right. That feels appropriate. Um Okay, so the ball is in our court then. All right. So, what does Captain Galvin want to do? I think he would order a scan on the Borg sphere, right? That that seems obvious. So, we can use the ship again for that. And um sensor 10. Hmm. And um See, I'm just I, I I don't I don't know exactly whether or not like if we're doing a, a, a scan of a ship, are we doing engineering? Are we using one of these other ones? So let's see here. 
Um, ship traits and talents. Yes, yes. Let's not forget that the door chimes on Kyushu are an octave lower than normal. <laughs> I just, I don't even know like how you would represent that even in a even in a group game. <laughs> Is that an octave lower? I don't know. It's about that, I guess. All right. So let's see here. Um, all right. Starships. Starship talent matrix new. Uh, okay, starships can cause complications and generate advantages. That's interesting. The index in this book, I have to say, is is very interesting. It's in the tiniest font imaginable because there's just like a million and one entries. Uh, okay, so. You will sometimes use your ship to make task rolls. In this case, the ship might generate momentum. Um, you may roll on the advantages matrix, and also if the threat is generated. Okay, well, that, that makes sense. Um, okay. When playing a commanding officer in solo mode, you will likely roll for the starship as an independent character for many of the ship's actions. Yes, as we have seen. Um, okay, so at any rate, let's see here. Well, this is very interesting. If Unless I'm missing something, there's actually nothing in this book that defines uh, the <clears throat> actual uh, ship's systems or departments. Uh, there is a page of, of example ship actions, so a scan is sensors plus science. So... We'll go with that, but uh, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting uh, oversight. I would, I would think. All right, fourteen or less. Fourteen or less to get a scan of uh, this Borg vessel. Okay, there we go. So, um, speaking of generating advantages, I rolled two successes. So let us go ahead and generate an advantage um but yeah i think you know um running a scan of this of this borg vessel we get your your sort of classic uh borg first contact um um you know results which is um you know just a highly advanced um construction shielding uh, quite unlike anything the Federation has encountered before, etc., etc. Strange life readings, etc., etc. So let's go ahead and roll that advantage. And, ooh, a 20. Roll twice and gain both advantages. Hey-oh! Oh, shit. Is the Kyushu going to blow up a Borg sphere by the end of this? We'll find out. Okay. 18. Critical evidence. Ha! Ha! Yes! <laughs> Either by discovering information about a mystery or recovered data drive or fossilized remains, giving a clue about an impending environmental disaster, the crew discover information critical to the success of the mission. Ha! Excellent. Now, the other one is very odd. I rolled a one. A chance encounter. An old ally appears in your hour of need. Or a specialist is delivered by a shuttlecraft whose expertise is needed for the mission. 
That one's really cool. Um, however, we're in the Delta Quadrant. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so let me just reroll that one. Second wind, a boost of energy. Oh, we've helped this, or we've helped this. We've we've had this before. Boost of energy helps with dealing with a tense situation and allows you to regain some of the control needed to accomplish your goals. Wow, look at that. So I even said at the beginning of this uh, episode that if something happened to remove the overworked crew condition, I would do so. Obviously, that's it. Okay. So... Um, I think this is a great place to pause. It's a little little early, but the Kyushu has discovered uh, critical information that will allow it that will give it give it a leg up. And I need to do some reading. My understanding is that the Delta Quadrant source book for Star Trek Adventures actually gives some guidelines of like how can a Federation starship just you know defeat a Borg vessel. Um, so I need to do some diving uh, in on that. Just read up on Borg spheres in general, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So and uh, again, I'll just I'll just put out a call, especially for any of you. Trekkies out there who know more about the Borg than I do, which is a pretty low bar. Um, if you have any cool or creative ideas on how Kyushu can maybe uh, discover some kind of uh, advantage or weakness or something else that will allow it to um, at least neutralize this Borg sphere, um, yeah, hop on our Discord or leave a comment on this post and uh, shoot me your ideas. Um, and let's not forget, of course, that the majority of the Borg crew are down on the surface of this planet, um, attempting to assimilate the Bronze Age flying jellyfish, yes, that's right, that, <laughs> that uh, inhabit this planet. So that's a whole other angle that we might very well be getting into next time. Uh, we'll see if, if the crew needs to beam down to fight some Borg. Um, on some uh, island archipelagos or if the action's going to be happening up on the sphere maybe we're going to beam over there and um, start wrecking shit while the majority of the crew is down on the planet you know we'll see and I haven't even gotten into the uh, nearby red giant with the giant radiation storm surrounding it that I rolled up as another feature of the uh, sector that this system is in and whether or not that will have any impact on Act 3, we shall see on the next episode of Captain's Log. Until then. <laughs>